Three, two, one. Okay. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novels and comics publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at The Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. And I'm Heidi McDonald, also the Co-Editor of PW Comics World, as well as the Graphic Novel Review Editor for Publishers Weekly. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer and I write for both of them. Well, this week uh, we've got an interesting slate of topics to talk about. Um, why don't we jump right to it? Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, there's a new Spidey in town, and turns out he's mixed race, half black, half Latino. Um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you go Marvel Comics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a as a, a, a kid who grew up uh, reading uh, the Black Panther, and uh, you know at a time when there really were very few um, non-white comics heroes. Uh, I think this is delightful. It's uh, obviously it's in the Ultimates line. It's out of continuity. Uh, what better place to do something different, something interesting? Uh, comics publishers are looking for ways to bring new readers in. Lord knows, I think this will do it. Yeah, I, I, the Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, which is up to its 100th issue plus, uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis, um, they decided that uh, Peter Parker of that world had gone far enough, and it was time to freshen up the mix and. There was a huge outcry in the media everywhere last week when this happened. Uh, needless to say, there's a you know single panel of Spider-Man unmasking and and revealing his new identity that that got huge exposure. And I, I agree with you, Calvin. It's it's a it's a really fresh move. You know, mm-hmm. America's demographics are changing, and Marvel has always had a really big uh, minority audience, comparatively you know. speaking. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's really part of the whole hip hop culture with a lot of the superheroes. Mm-hmm. So I mean, also uh, both the editor in chief Axel Alonso and the chief uh, creative officer mm-hmm. Joe Casada are actually Latino. So mm-hmm. uh, this is a very uh, natural move for them, and uh, you know, I think a lot will depend on the. Uh, execution as far as the comic goes, but the first issue's on sale in uh, September, September with mm-hmm. Miles Morales. And, and as we'll the news Spidey bro. As, yes. <laughs> well, I have to say that I am actually more likely to pick that up than any Spider-Man comic because, okay, I mean, this will get me lynched by other comic book fans, but I'm not that into Peter Parker. I mean, he's cool. I have nothing against him. I just feel no urge to read him, but um, this will be Bendis doing what Bendis does best, which is writing a character he created himself. And this could go somewhere cool. And I have to say, I'm kicking myself because I should have known when they said they were killing off Ultimate Spider-Man that they would probably do something funky like this. Because really, what's the point of replacing him with another white dude? They've certainly got <laughs> no shortage of those. Plenty of white exactly. dudes already. Like if you kill off <laughs> Peter Parker and then you're just like, here's another dude with the same background as Peter Parker. Enjoy. That would have been a little redundant, so I really should have seen this coming, but I have to admit, I really didn't. Well, I had no it's, idea. It's an, another part of the move that I think is really smart is that Miles is a lot younger. I think he's just a teenager of, uh, I, I think it was 14. As a, he's, that would he, make sense. Yeah, he's a youth. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a, it's a real it's a real smart move for Marvel just to widen their brand like this, you know? They have uh, original Spider-Man mm-hmm. and now new, fresh 21st century Spider-Man. It, it's impressive, impressive for another reason. I mean, uh, I mean the, generally the excuse you run out about the lack. You hear run out about the lack of minority or diversity in superhero comics. Is that you know non-white superhero stars or comics that have non-white principal characters don't sell well? That seems to be the, the conventional wisdom in the industry. So this is even more interesting to see um, a major, if not the major, Marvel title, uh, you know, recast with a minority character. Uh, absolutely. And one other thing about this book. 
uh, that just to give you more bang for your diversity buck is that it's being drawn by a female artist, Sara Pacelli, who's a wonderful Italian artist. And certainly all the artwork that's been seen has has uh, really been great. So, you know, I think about more diversity on the page, behind the page. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man number one's relaunch in September is uh, definitely answering a lot of the cries for for that. So. Okay. All right, I'm going to read it. Mm-hmm. No, I am. So uh, another item that was in the news this week was uh, a change of dates for two very similarly focused shows, although on opposite sides of the country. Um, the Mocha Festival, which is traditionally held in April, uh, announced that its final dates were going to be April... Now I have the... Uh, actually, I should look them up, but um, I think they were April 27th or 28th, and which happened to be the same dates as the Stumptown Festival, which takes place in Portland. So there was a little bit of talk about that. Um, and both both shows released statements that were uh, talking about, uh, you know, it was regrettable, but sometimes it's hard to schedule a show. And uh, that because they're both draw indie artists from both coasts, uh, I mean, the starving cartoonist is probably not going to spend the money to fly from Portland or New York City. So there probably wasn't going to be that much overlap of guests anyway. But, uh, you know, it's of some note to publishers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it certainly puts a burden on, on exhibitors, um, uh, pub- publisher exhibitors there. Um, and, and there were some ambiguities in the... Um, in the responses from MoCA, I mean, unfortunately, MoCA has had some critics over the last few years um, with the move to um, Lexington Avenue Armory. They've had problems there. Uh, this certainly doesn't uh, doesn't help them. Uh, but they, both uh, MoCA and Stumptown, seem to be trying uh, to diffuse the controversy. Uh, but the notion that their ex- exhibitors are not hurt by this does seem a little peculiar yeah i mean if nothing else they're they're losing spotlight i mean if you've got both of these going on and the buzz is coming from both at once you know it seems a shame to have the two such shows in the united states that are so big that are so similar coming out at the exact same time and then what's interesting is that that uh, tcap the toronto comics arts festival is actually the following weekend and there's a, been some discussion of whether on the indie circuit, having the shows close together or far apart is of more of a boon. I mean, some people feel like if you have a creator on tour, it's a lot easier just to send them from show to show, um, whereas others feel that having that much money in, in one quarter, for instance, is going to be a burden. I mean, we are talking about small publishers yeah. with limited budgets. Um, I, I agree with Calvin, though. There was, it was never really explained why they had to move the dates for MoCA, mm-hmm. and so, you know, we, we don't know. I guess it was better for them, and it couldn't be avoided, and we don't know what that reason mm-hmm. is, but... It's um, just interesting to see the Con Wars played out all over again on the uh, indie stage. Yes, yes. But hopefully. they are in different coasts, so yeah. it's and, not like uh, we're all going to go to yeah. both anyway. And uh, hopefully they'll uh, resolve this for next year. Uh, it, it still seems unfortunate when it happens. Okay, moving on. Uh, it looks like we're going to, uh, we are revisiting Apple and, <laughs> oh, and, and what's starting to seem like a, a, a pattern, um, a heavy-handed pattern. Uh, we'll call it censorship. Other people uh, might not, but um, um, it, it turns out that Kate, um, actually a, a wonderful org- uh, organization that produces uh, uh, arts exhibitions, uh, what's it, comics, art, and production? I'm now mangling the name of it, but the principals include Jim Danke, who did that magnificent book about the underground comics, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dennis Kitchen, um, and uh, the curator, among other things that she does, uh, 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 Kim Munson. Uh, with impeccable uh, impeccable credentials, 
in scholarship and comics professionalism, uh, they've worked together to create a, an iPad, an iPhone, and Android marketplace um, app that really gives you a look at an exhibition and the book on the underground comics. That means, of course, that it's full of really raunchy and explicit uh, sex. Yeah, one of the books in there is Omaha the Cat Dancer, which was unabashedly an erotic graphic novel and features lots and lots of very explicit sex, and so do so many of the other contributors to this. So when it was submitted to Apple for uh, uh, approval, um, it didn't get through as it was, so they pulled out some of the more egregious pages. But interestingly... The iPad version was approved, and I guess that's why this story is kind of notable. And you know, Calvin, you really watch the digital world. I mean, is it normal for some things to go through on the iPhone and not on the iPad? Well, it's or? normal for for Apple to uh, go nuts over nudity. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, what, they they've done it in the past. Uh, we've seen them uh, really uh, hold up the uh, approval, or actually to reject apps. Uh, for uh, the graphic adaptation of Ulysses, uh, as well as uh, a, a gay version of uh, the importance of being uh, earnest. Now, uh, the outcry over that those um, those events uh, actually forced Apple to back down. So we'll see what happens in this case. But it's not unusual for Apple uh, and for Steve Jobs uh, to be heavy-handed about the nudity. Uh, we'll see whether in this case, and we're talking about a work that really is one of the great historical periods in, in, in American comics development. We'll have to see if the outcry over this will cause him to back down. But once again, it's peculiar in that they're only removed images from the iPhone version and not from the iPad version. And of course, the Android um, operating system version, the Android marketplace version, um, Android is also no uncensored. There's no problem with that yeah. at all. Do you think it's just that there are different people in charge of different departments? Or do you think that maybe it's something like they're afraid of, of it being seen in public? You know, somebody reading this on their iPhone in public and it's giving well, Apple it's a bad bigger name. bigger on the iPad. Well, I know, but very few people, like, <laughs> yeah. go around with their iPad on the subway. I don't or, know about that. Yeah, looking at the checkered you know, demon, I guess. The, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, Apple's reasoning. Well, Apple doesn't give reasons. And this, the, and... Uh, this, this, I, I can't, I, you know, I'm not, can't speculate. I have no idea. It's so peculiar that it makes it sound as though that, a mis, that uh, mistakes were made. Uh, we'll have to see. Something, I, I think we'll hear more about this in the next Yeah, next and week I mean, it's just an ongoing uh, battle, and it's an ongoing issue. This week it was also announced that Apple is the world's biggest company. Like, their yes, profits yeah. are larger than uh, Exxon, and also larger than the United States. Uh, so, uh, so this is a huge multinational corporation, and I'm as addicted to my eye uh, devices as anybody, and I love Apple, but, uh, you know, they are kind of creepy well, I mean, I have <laughs> in to some say, ways. I have to say that while I, I have an Apple device, in fact, this podcast is being recorded on an Apple device, um, I've gotten to prefer to buy my digital comics content elsewhere just because I'm just so skeeved by their Controlling. Yeah. They're controlling. controlling They're very yes. controlling. And uh, another big topic, which, which Calvin has been covering extensively, is the in-app purchases. How if you're going to sell mm -hmm. something in your app, uh, Apple must get its 30%. And this has been a pretty huge thing for magazines, for book mm -hmm. publishers, for Amazon, for Kindle, for mm -hmm. Nook. And yeah. there's all sorts of workarounds that are currently yeah. happening. So it's, 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 it's developing. You know, I, you know what? I'll say as far as the in-app purchasing system issue and, and Apple's, uh, you know, I mean, Apple's been painted as a big villain for this. And, and maybe they are. But 
I would say, you know, it is interesting. I mean, Apple provides a platform to over 100 million credit card numbers and uh, a marketplace of consumers. They make it very easy to use it. And what we've seen in the past is that they, um, the apps have, have basically been designed to allow people to bypass paying anything for it. So uh, I think really what's going to happen in this, because what's happening with these workarounds is basically people are developing HTML5 web browsers that can provide an experience that's comparable to native apps. I think actually in many ways what Apple is doing is actually speeding up the development and they're putting publishers and magazine publishers, they're getting them out there and actually they're finding that they can develop their own audience through the web browsers as well as get information that they don't get presently from Apple. So in, in a certain way, I think actually Apple is speeding up the development of the HTML browsers. I think that Apple is going, this is going to help the digital community, I think, develop ways around Apple that actually in the long run will be to their great benefit. Yeah, And I think you just, uh, it's like you snooze, you lose. And anybody who thinks Apple is just a, you know, a genial giant who has everybody <laughs> at heart is is probably not the best idea to have. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with Apple making its cut. As yes. long, you know, I mean, if people want to use its platform and they take their cut, that's fine with me. But I do prefer to buy my content somewhere where I can get whatever I want. Yeah, Absolutely. that makes a lot of sense. And that's why the Android marketplace is always going to be, I think, a real competitor. And, yeah, and, and growing, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, well, speaking of giving the people what they want, uh, in the wake of Comic-Con and the summer of the superhero movies, uh, there was an article in the New York Times, I believe, that was saying maybe the superhero movies are in decline right now. I mean, Green Lantern was a... Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. And Enough Thor said. and Captain America have Pretty done good. well, but mm -hmm. they're not as big as Iron Man. And, uh, you know, I mean, personally, Personally, I think that that's kind of a ludicrous idea because we have the Avengers coming and Spider-Man 2 coming. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have a lot more superhero movies. However, I do feel like the zeitgeist right now is a lot more slanted towards fantasy. And that San Diego, definitely, nobody really gave a, you know, poop about superhero movies whereas Game of Thrones yeah. and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Twilight still. And, and that was really the hugest thing going was fantasy. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you're just seeing the zeitgeist shift a little bit. And, and let's talk about some uh, comic book movies that are being discussed as being in the pipeline that are more fantasy-driven. Oh, well, you know, at, at one of the panels at, um, at Comic-Con, Guillermo del Toro was talking about, he, he received a question about, you know, would he do a superhero movie? And he, he's actually not interested because he, his, you know, his aesthetic leans more toward, towards fantasy. And, but, he, you know, there are certain properties he would do, and one of which was Doctor Strange. You could see him doing right. it. And and Doctor, doing a Doctor Strange is in development at Marvel, right. and I, believe me, that's a movie I think we'd all like to see. That could be very good or very, very bad. And I'd love to see Del Toro do it. No, but yeah, he, you know, if Del Toro was, did it. it he would was giving a shout-out to uh, <laughs> to Marvel. Meanwhile, also in development, is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is Marvel's space opera comic. I wonder if this is going to be the version of the Rocket Raccoon or not, but it's their least superhero-y superhero comic in their entire line, and just a giant space opera. So you kind of wonder if this is going to be their their Green Lantern beater. Okay, <laughs> that wouldn't be hard. Well, yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, you know, I will say this. I mean, you know, the fact is, there's been a story uh, coming out about, you know, um, is Hollywood tired of superhero movies? Probably for about the last three years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every, you know, every everyone's predicting this, and in the, and every summer we're still getting a bunch of superhero big budget movies. I, I don't really see it changing anytime soon. 
uh, unless there's a really huge financial loss. And that's the only thing Hollywood pays attention to. Uh, they don't care whether the movie's good or bad or different, as long as it's making money. And I think if they're making bad movies and they don't make money, then they'll stop making them and they'll turn to something else. But one agent did say to me a couple of years ago, um, who actually works in this realm, and, um, with Scott Agostini, who uh, was previously at the William Morris, but I don't think he is anymore. Comics just offer uh, just the, the perfect package to convince a studio. I mean, you've got it. You've essentially got a storyboard. Um, you know, when you're going to greenlight these huge projects, uh, you've got something that you can show. You can sh lay out the visual landscape of the thing. And until something really tanks in a huge way, uh, I think they're going to. I think keep you're going to need four or five things to tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think you're, I think you're absolutely right. But not only that, there are a lot of stealth comic book movies that are in the theaters these days. I mean, a lot of movies you go see, you think, oh, this is a, a dark indie or something. And a couple of weeks later, you're like, oh, wait, that was a comic book. We see the superhero movies and we think comic book movies, but the studios are buying comic book properties for movies in all kinds of genres. Yeah. And, and the whole genre is jumping over uh, to TV now as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, the, those are less successful. Yeah, but actually this fall is the first time there isn't any kind of overt superhero show mm -hmm. on the air for mm -hmm. a long time. Smallville mm -hmm. has ended, you know, Heroes yeah. is long gone. The mm -hmm. ones that launched last year, like The Cape and yeah. uh, No Ordinary <laughs> oh, Family, dear. right, yes. yeah. are gone. But I, I mean, I would just say I, I think it's really entrenched. And uh, But I do feel, as I said before, I do feel like this is the fantasy moment right now. And, you know, something like Game of Thrones comes Without along yeah. and just livens everybody up. And it also has nudity, and uh, which everybody loves. And it seems much more authentic when people are wearing uh, bear skins and wolf skins and capes when you're naked than if you're wearing a superhero suit because they're almost <laughs> naked. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I think <laughs> it's just that maybe the superhero genre has just matured in movies to the point where it's no longer surprising to us. And so, therefore, even if people are still going to see them in the same numbers, the buzz isn't the same as something new and hot like yeah. Fantasy. Absolutely, absolutely. And fantasy isn't that new and hot either. It's, you know, ten years ago it was Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but I mean, there was a lull between yes. Lord of the Rings yeah. and now. Well, that's it. I, as I was mm -hmm. saying, it's like it's it's just you know, it's a pendulum. It's just that people get tired of one flavor of ice cream and they want to have another mm -hmm. flavor. But just because they felt in the mood for strawberry doesn't mean they're never going to eat chocolate again. So. I think what articles like this say more than anything is that uh, typically the kind of person who writes for the New York Times generally is not that into superhero movies, <laughs> which is fine. Anyway, what else was in the news this week? There was also uh, some talk, actually today, as we're recording this, there was a huge kerfuffle about the womanthology uh, anthology. It hasn't really reached kerfuffle well, it's a twit fuffle. Well, it's a yes, it's a yeah, twit fuffle. It's a twit rhubarb. Yeah. Um, oh dear. Yeah, this is a this was the an all uh, female comics anthology uh, that was a, a project on Kickstarter. Well, the thing, yes, it was on Kickstarter, and, and, and it's funds. been we covered it in a past issue of Comics World, mm -hmm. and uh, what it's really notable for is there have been many attempts or actual uh, achievements of female only anthologies before. But this one was just funded incredibly quickly. Uh, the initial funding goal was $25,000. It reached that, like, it, in four in hours. Than, yes, I yeah. mean, overnight it had been funded. By the next day it had uh, gotten $44,000 in pledges, I believe. And we, you know, we mm -hmm. covered it. A lot of people covered it. And, and ended up uh, getting over $100,000 in pledges. Yeah, and the fact that it had already been fully funded just didn't stop the buzz and people wanting to fund it. I mean, I know... 
among friends of mine who really don't have money to spare. They're like, this is an awesome idea. I'm going to throw up 20 bucks. And I'm like, okay, man, but they're already funded. I mean, it just doesn't seem to be stopping people. Well, on the one um, hand, why do you think, well, well, let me ask you this. Yeah, why sure. do you think your friends re- responded like that? I think they responded like that because they, they took a look at what it was and what they felt it stood for. And that was what they they wanted in comics. I mean, people are continually being told in comics that you should put your money where your mouth is and, and fund the things that you care about and that sound good to you. And, I mean, I, I think a lot of people have bought into that ethos. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, but, you know, that's it's a little bit, I think, kind of like the Egyptian spring. You know, everybody's out there saying, this is a great idea, and here's my $20. And then now it's like, okay, what are we going to do? Um, although... In her defense, I will say, or not defense, but I, the editor of this project, uh, Renee well, DeLiz. What are some of the criticisms that are Well, the, some are of the criticisms are that the uh, contributors aren't being paid. Right. That's yeah, one that's of the biggest really ones. The, and that's kind of touched off a lot of talk. And this everywhere. is a long-time uh, discussion point right. in the independent right. comics. It is. Yeah. And, and especially for charity. Uh, and also, the other thing that's been discussed is that the money is going to charity. Now, when you say that in a bland way like that, you're like, well, wait, wait a minute, yes. $100,000 <laughs> are going to charity? Uh, you know, Kickstarter does not allow that, number one. They do not allow charity fundraising. It has to be towards a specific goal. Um, however, what that does mean is that the profits of the book, after it's published by IDW, are going to go to a charity, uh, which is going global, uh, and which was announced, and it was announced that the contributors weren't getting paid. Um, so I think it's kind of like a lot of people saw this, and, and you know, all of us included were like, wow, what a great idea. We're going to support this. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, we didn't read the fine print. And so, you know, and I think Renee at this point is a little bit like, well, you guys, I said this all along. So, well, and, I mean, and as you said in your uh, yourself in one of your your tweets today about it, nothing. Uh, who expects uh, when they when they put an independent publishing a project on Kickstarter that they're going to raise a hundred thousand yeah, dollars? That would be crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said. Who would you yeah. say? I mean, we, yeah. Even the twenty-five thousand was, yeah. you know, considered a, you know, a long shot. So they've got to sit down. They've got to look at this money, and they've got to actually come up with some accounting, uh, and also obviously think ahead to the future. I mean, this. I mean, uh, crowdfunding for comics projects is turning out to be uh, really a, a, a very right. interesting proposition. Right, and um, we don't. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, as I say, is part of the problem is that they already had, as well, they should a business plan in place, which they had placed on Kickstarter saying what they were going to do, and which they had agreed on with their contributors, and it was tailored for the amount of money they thought they were going to get. But, you know, here comes this giant pile of money, and if you start changing your financial arrangements after the giant pile of money, then, you know, some people might not like that either, because that's not what they agreed to. Yeah, and uh, so, so, I mean, I think one of the reasons that they said that they were going to do with the money is number one, um, increase the print run because it's a mm-hmm. 300 page book, so it is mm-hmm. not going to be that cheap to publish. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, to let's publish. face it. And uh, also, the, uh, Deleuze has some ideas about starting uh, her own imprint of comics, you know, mm-hmm. and, and putting more money back into it. So she mm-hmm. has some very ambitious ideas, and, and I, I think just people, people, mm-hmm. when you see six figures involved in comics for anything, <laughs> yes, I mean, yes. if we were, Calvin, if we were reporting on somebody getting a $100,000 advance for a graphic novel, we, we would have that headline it's news, sure. you know, that's a lot of money for comics. It really yeah. is. But it also shows, uh, I mean, in a, in a time where there's constant discussion about the role of women in comics, uh, uh, you, it, or back 
the discussion is more about the role of women in superhero comics among the big two. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, as we all know, there are plenty of really talented and professional women working in independent comics every day. Yeah. But it certainly, uh, certainly is a, is a let you see that there's incredible support um, where and and financial support for for women to do comics. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not a huge fan of women only anthologies. I don't yeah. think it really does any good. I, mm-hmm. And I think that especially when they're a charity anthology, we did a bunch of those at mm-hmm. Friends of Lulu, and that was never my idea. But mm-hmm. other people always wanted to do them, so I'm like, you know what? If you want to put all the time and effort into doing this, when I personally, I would rather put my time and effort into uh, promoting, talking about yeah. existing works by women cartoonists, mm-hmm. of which there's plenty. So, yes. but other people feel like this makes a great statement, and I would not say don't, you know, yeah. don't support mm-hmm. this. If it's what you believe and support it. So, well, I mean, frankly, I'm going to read it because I mean, I just looked at the contributors. Yes, these are yeah. really great mm-hmm. contributors, and I think it's maybe getting a spotlight also on some newer comic creators and um, getting them in the same publication is a lot of big names. So I can't blame them for wanting to be part of it, and I certainly would like to read it myself. Absolutely. So, you know, more to come on that. So More to come. Yep. Uh, all right, well, I think we had a couple of little notes on international comics uh, sure before we wrap up. Uh, I wanted to note that One Piece, uh, which is the great uh, manga by Ichiro Oda, had set a record for selling 2 million copies in four days of the new volume, number 63, and uh, which is pretty incredible. I mean, One Piece uh, is like the soccer of comics because it's huge everywhere in the world, but not so much in America. Yeah. I mean, it's popular here, but it never has even reached Naruto uh, heights and I love it. I think it's it's such it's an funny amazing book. Yeah. I haven't funny, read the latest volumes, but, but I've read it earlier. Well, on. it's a huge. Yeah. I haven't read the latest ones mm-hmm. either, but I mean, it's just such a great soap opera. Yeah. And and Oda is a great cartoonist, yeah. and I, I really think that you know he's got sixty volumes under his belt. He was just a young <laughs> guy when he started it. This is pretty much already one of the towering achievements in recent yeah. comics. And um, I think one of the reasons it didn't catch on in the United States was that when the anime aired, it was not very well subbed and, and was, uh, it was yeah. not... A bad re- anime will really hurt Absolutely. And, and also, it was censored because a lot of things in it are a little bit too too spicy for, or weird. <laughs> well, for they should have just let it be what it was and then just marked it as that age range. Because, yeah. hmm. I mean, I'm sure people who are not the ones supposed to be reading it would read it, but at least then it would at least be what it was. Yeah. Well, you know what? It doesn't really need us because it's doing really it's well doing in Japan. <laughs> Everywhere else in the world. All the money in the world anyway, yeah. although I'm sure they wouldn't say no to a little more. Yeah. And uh, I'll uh, I, I have a, a, a small manga. Well, it's not so, not, not not a small uh, item uh, on manga, but uh, digital manga publishing has uh, been working on an experiment to speed up and lower the cost cost of uh, translating manga. And and it's called the Digital Manga Guild. It's basically crowdsourced um, fans to uh, um, to come in and um, take a test, and they vet all of the the people who. Uh, who, uh, who who apply and to come up with teams of localized translators to um, basically to agree between all between both the translators and the publishers to basically to get paid on the back end. The way manga is translated now, it's very expensive. It's very time consuming. This is digital manga's publishing effort 
to to speed it up. To speed it up. And also, they were doing it anyway. Well, you know? yeah, basically, this <laughs> right. is just professional well, license scansation. Yes, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, at a different, uh, you know, a different level, level of confidence. Now, everyone doesn't think that this is a great thing. And I've talked to some professors who think this is going to end up being a lot of bad manga. But the first book ha- is coming out as an e-manga. It's a yaoi title. And uh, um, DMP expects to publish as many as 50 manga a month using this technique. I do think the one advantage it has is that a lot of more obscure manga that was never making it to the United States will be out there in a licensed form so that creators can get paid for it and so that audiences here who really want to read it can't. And it could be done in an e-format so we don't have to uh, deal with that pesky printing. Uh, Marvel UK is ending. An interesting thing that Marvel fans in the United States might not be aware of is that as well as getting all the regular Marvel comics made in the United States, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, or whatever, the Marvel characters and universe were licensed out to Panini, a British publisher, where they could create Britain-only Marvel comics, all their own, and use all the Marvel characters and write comics. So they didn't really have to worry about them being continuity so much, they could just write whatever they want and aim it more toward the British audience. And indeed, a lot of the big British comic creators who seem to come out of nowhere, well, how is this person so good at superheroes when all we know are these indie works, is they were writing superheroes. They were writing superheroes for Marvel UK, and we just never saw any of that work here, except, you know, maybe in an anthology or something. Um, But that's ending. Do, Um, Do we know why? Why is it ending? Um, because it does not fit Disney's business plan. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I can give you a little bit of insight on something of that. To work for Disney, and when we did our comics, uh, they could be published other places, but sometimes not in England, because England had its own publishing, like you're talking about mm-hmm. with Marvel UK. So they had their, and by the same token, their comics were never exported. So it's kind of like an, uh, they weren't given out to the rest of the Disney pool. And I mean, why Disney would not allow their own licensors to make comics available elsewhere in the world, I'm not exactly sure. There's some kind of bizarre contractual mm. agreement. But English comics like. on a lot of licensed characters have always been like that, where mm-hmm. they had to, I think it might be some kind of English law, where they had to create their own native comics or native well, material. It, I, have, I am totally speculating. It, I don't know why it, it is. It must not be law, because they're not doing it right, anymore. Right, right. But I mean, something changed, which is something why I'm, I'm curious. I, I, still, I don't think it's from everything I've read it appears to just be that it came up for renewal the contract for the first time since Disney took over and Disney just said no well they may have just said we're going to do this internally and why not just import our own comics so really? that's, I mean, probably it's understandable. Yeah. that's probably why so but we're guessing all right and um, very briefly I just wanted to mention that um, Vertigo has issued a deluxe edition of uh, really just a fabulous Beautiful and heartbreaking comic, uh, We Three, uh, by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. Uh, it's a story of basically uh, three animals, a cat, a dog, and a rabbit, bioengineered into basically uh, a military cyborg. Um, as uh, crazy as that sounds, it's an, act, an, an absolutely poignant book, beautifully illustrated. Um, it's uh, in, in, in a classic, really, um, in some ways, of the genre, so... Um, we're picking up now Deluxe Edition of We Three by Grant Morrison and Frank yeah. Quietly out from Well, we all love that book. A, a kitty, a puppy, and a bunny. You can't go wrong mm-hmm. with it, especially when they're reenacting the Terminator yeah. by way of uh, 
I believe it was the best book of the year. Well, it has a nice PW blurb on the it cover. It, I believe cover. it was also actually one of the best comics of the decade. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it is absolutely qualifies as a neoclassic. And I wish they'd make a movie out of it because that would be so cool. But, yeah. It yeah. would have to be animated. It would have to be animated. I don't know. Have you seen Planet of the Apes? Well, I haven't seen it, but uh, CGI, I will. CGI can be pretty <laughs> awesome, but I'm also sort of more thinking the Smurfs. <laughs> like, I, I'm kind of like, don't do the Smurfs with Weed 3, okay, guys? All Just right. no. Yeah, you're I'll right. You know, that, on that yeah. note, don't make a Weed 3 movie if it's yeah. going to be like the Smurfs. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no. yeah. that would be really uh, sad. Well, more to come. Yeah, more that wraps come. us up this week, uh, and yeah, more to come. We'll see you in two weeks.